Well, fantastic. My name is Dave Shive, and I am one of the pastors here on staff, and it's great to be with you this morning. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we've been doing a series called Rating Hell. And we've talked about a lot of different things in this series, but the whole point of the series, the reason that we wanted to do this series, was to show you that you have the ability to be a hell raider. You have what it takes to cross enemy lines and bring those who are being held captive back to freedom. You have the ability to share the amazing news of Jesus Christ to those around you. The good news of the gospel that brings freedom and life to those who are living without hope. And I hope that you've been encouraged throughout this series and not discouraged. I hope that you no longer get those tense feelings when you hear that word evangelism. I hope that you have a better understanding of what evangelism is. And I hope that you know that it is something that all of us can do. But in case you're not quite there yet, Let's go back and review a few things that we've talked about. Remember this. First thing, start with prayer and start with one. Who is that one person that God has put on your heart? Who is that one person that you're praying for? If you don't have that person, if there's somebody you're not praying for right now, you need to figure out who that person is and then begin praying for them and pray for them every day. And then you need to make a difference in their life. Because every Christian is called to make a difference. We're all salt and light in the world. And remember, we talked about that every light is different. You don't have to be that outgoing, superstar, Olympic Christian to make a difference. Simply be who you are. Use the gifts that God has given you to show compassion and love to those around you. This isn't an in-your-face presentation of the gospel. It's just you living the way that God wants you to live, and the way that God commands you to live, and then letting His love show through your actions. But then be ready and listening to the Holy Spirit to show you those open doors, to share Jesus with those people. Don't force the conversation. Allow God to work through you and through their circumstances. Remember, God is in control of this process. He's the one who's going to show you when the right time is to talk about Jesus. And then when that door is open, remember to stay on topic. Keep it simple and focus on Jesus. We talked a lot about a whole bunch of don'ts here. Don't bring politics and science and theological debates, end-time speculations. Don't bring those things into the conversation. Don't use hard-pressure tactics to try to convince them. Just be yourself. Be yourself and then tell your story. Don't worry about using the right words. Don't worry about if it's polished or not. Don't worry about any of that. Just share what God's done in your life. It's that simple. It really is that simple. Share what Jesus means to you, how he's helped you, how he's healed you, how he's brought you through tragedy, and then leave the results up to God. Remember, we're just the sower of the seed. God's the one that makes it grow. See, evangelism should not cause us grief at all. It should be a natural thing that we do. It's what we're called to do. It's what the church exists for. See, it's been God's plan from the very beginning to use people like you and me to save those who are around us, to save those who are going to perish 
without Christ. They're going to perish without Christ. Do you realize that in our community, in the South Lakeland community, that three out of four people do not know Christ as Savior? Now we've shared this statistic before, and I think with all statistics it's easy for us just to brush past it real easily, but I want you to stop and I want you to think about that for a minute. Three out of four. Three out of four. That means three out of four of your neighbors are going to suffer eternal punishment. Three out of four of your friends. Three out of four of your co-workers. Think about it. Three out of four. I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to make this message heavy. I'm not trying to leave you feeling guilty and depressed. But I want to paint a very realistic picture of the truth. Because this is a serious topic. Hell is a real place. It's real. It's there. It wasn't created for us. We were never meant to go to hell. It was designed for Satan and his demons. But the fact still remains that those who reject Christ will suffer the same punishment as Satan. And we can ignore it. We can not talk about it. We can theologically dismiss it and hope that the Bible is wrong. But the truth is when Christ returns and the judgment of mankind happens, hell will be real. And there are going to be a lot of people that end up there. So three out of four. Does that bother you? Does it make you uncomfortable? Because it should. It should cause angst in us. If it doesn't, then maybe we need to look inward and see what's wrong with our own heart. Because we should feel the same compassion about the loss that Jesus did. We should feel the same compassion for the loss that Jesus did. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. It's in Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can open up there. We're going to start in verse 35. And this is probably a passage that you've heard before. But let's look at verse 35. It says, Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogue and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now there's a couple of things I want you to see here. The first is, in this text, this text marks a very significant transition in Jesus' ministry. See, up to this point, his disciples have simply been listeners and onlookers in his ministry. They've been observing and learning from Jesus. All the actual ministry, the teaching, the preaching, the healing, all of that has been, been performed by Jesus up to this point. But right after this passage in chapter 10... And Matthew, Jesus now sends his disciples out. He sends them out with the power to teach, with the power to preach, with the power to heal. 
And I think that this is really significant because basically what Jesus is saying is he's saying, this has been the plan that I've had all along. This is my plan, is that you can do what I do. You can do what I do. I'm giving you the power to do that. In fact, in John 14, Jesus says, not only will you do the same works I've done, but the works that you do will be greater than the works that I've done. So there's no question that this task of reaching people, of sharing the gospel, has been put in our hands. Jesus clearly has put it in our hands. And he has faith in us to complete it. He believes that you and I are capable of doing it. But here's what I really want you to see, and it's in verse 36. And he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus looked over the mass of people who had, had been following him for all of these months. See, they were everywhere he went. If he went into a boat, they walked around the lake to find him on the other side. They came for all kinds of different reasons. Simply, some came just to watch and listen. Some came to hear his teachings. Some to see his miracles. A lot of people came for specific needs in their own lives or the lives of their loved ones. Most of those were for physical healing or deliverance from, de from demons. But when Jesus gazes upon the multitude of people, he sees something infinitely greater in their lives, a need that's infinitely greater a need that far surpassed a withered arm, a possessed mind, or a blind eye. He sympathized with their physical pains, and he would have been deeply moved if that was all that they had a problem with. But in seeing the multitudes, Jesus saw something deeper. He sees the deepness of their need and their desperate plight because they're spiritually blind and they're lost. And he felt compassion for them only as God could fill he was moved in his innermost being that word compassion the Greek word paints a picture of your guts the insides your innermost being he was moved and distressed about their fate it bothered him deeply because he cared for them because he loved them and if we don't have that same kind of compassion, if our heart doesn't break for those who are going to go to hell, then something's not right. I mean, that's what we're here for. This is the heartbeat of God to rescue the lost, to reconcile the world to himself. He's been doing it from the very moment that Adam and Eve rebelled against him, and he hasn't stopped from that point on. See, Jesus felt compassion for all the sheep without a shepherd. And when we look around the world and we look at our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends, we should see the same thing. We should feel the same tugs on our heartstrings. And it should pull us into action. See, I don't know about you, but I don't want to accept the statistic of three out of four. I don't want to accept that. I want us to be different. I want us to be the exception to the rule. I like to look at statistics a lot. I do that because I'm nerdy like that. But I also, I also use those statistics as a rallying point for my faith. 
Because see, sometimes I see this impossible statistic and it becomes that hill that I have to climb. It becomes that hill that has to be taken. And yeah, it looks overwhelmingly impossible. Three out of four seems overwhelmingly impossible. But my God is a big God and he is overwhelmingly in the business of the impossible. I want TBA Church to make a difference in the lives of the people of South Lakeland. I want God to do amazing things through us. And I believe God wants to do amazing things through us, but we have to do our part. We've got to do our part. See, we've got to be obedient, and we have to answer the call to the harvest. We have to answer the call to the harvest, because the harvest is there. It is there for the picking. But we have to go out into the fields. We have to go out into the fields. That doesn't mean that the enemy is going to make it easy for us, though. This is the next thing we need to know, is that Satan will stop us at all costs. He will try to stop us at all costs. Jesus even says in the next chapter of Matthew, in Matthew 10, he says, the nations will hate you. They will hate you because you are my followers. See, our culture in America has twisted the gospel of freedom and love and turned it into an intolerant, shackled religion of hate. Add to that the fact that we as Christians ourselves don't do a very good job of showing love to others. Plus, we have those people who call themselves Christians doing horrible names in the name of Christ. It's no wonder that when you ask this current generation what they think of the word Christian, the response that comes back is often words like hypocritical, insensitive, judgmental, fake, closed-minded, unloving, completely opposite of who Jesus was and what he was about. And who can blame them? Who can blame them when the picture of what a Christian is is tainted by TV evangelists that preach a prosperity gospel that just isn't true, that all they do is want your money. That's all they want. Give me your money. Give me your money. Or the picture that they have is that the Bible is unreliable when, when people unbiblically predict the end of the world and it doesn't happen. Or when you have fanatics who want to cause controversy and spread intolerance and hate by burning the Koran. Or when you get pictures like this. Or this. Hate is a biblical value? This is the picture of what the world thinks of Christians and Christianity. Does any of that look like Jesus to you? It doesn't to me. But that's the picture that this generation is getting of Christians. And it's having a profound effect on the church in America. George Barna, who founded the Barna Group, which is a market research group that conducts research in trending values, he wrote a book called Revolution. 
And in his book, Barna conducted extensive interviews to try to determine the state of the church in America and where it might be heading. And I've shared these statistics with you before, but I want to share them again because I think they're important. I think it shows where we're at. I think it shows what we face. Statistic number one, only 15% of churches in the United States are growing. Only 15 15% are growing. And of those 15%, less than 5% are growing because new people are coming to Christ. So the church is only growing at, at 5% rate. 5% of churches in America are growing. Um, in the last five years, 10,000 churches have closed their doors. In the last five years, 10,000 churches have closed their doors. The number of people in America that do not attend church has doubled in the past 15 years. It's doubled. And Barnes said, as we enter the 21st century, the local church was the focus of most people's spiritual lives. About 70% of all Americans used to rely upon the local congregation to be their dominant source for spiritual input and output. And Barner goes on to say, he says, I have concluded that by the year 2025, the spiritual profile of the nation will be dramatically different. Specifically, I expect about only one-third of the population will rely upon the local congregation. In other words, in 15 years, if Barna is right, and the trends continue the way they are, the church's influence, and when I say the church, I mean the organization of the church in America, will be non-existent. Organized church in America will be non-existent in 15 years. People will no longer be looking to churches for answers to their spiritual questions. People will no longer come through the front door seeking God. And for the past 50 years, the front door of the church has often been the main venue for people to find God. But if Barna's right, that will rapidly go away. See, this current generation is more, distrust, is more distrusting of organized religion than it ever has been. They don't trust us. And if we as a church do not change our approach to reaching them, then we stand a very good chance of America being a generation removed from any church influence. Do you understand what I'm saying? A generation will grow up without any influence from the church. That's why the way that we act in the world, that's the why the way that we live our lives, our posture to the world around us is so very important. Remember last week Brian talked about Music being an analogy, a song being an analogy of your life, that the lyrics were the words that you say, but the way that you live is the music behind the lyrics. And he basically said, you could have the best lyrics in the world. You can have the best lyrics in the world. But if your music is bad, then nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to listen to you. We've got to change our music. Our music must be pleasing to the world around us. It must be pleasing to the world around us. 1 Peter 2.12 says this. It says, Be careful to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, 
They will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. If we really want to reach this generation, we have to become Jesus in a tangible way for them. We have to show them by example that not all Christians are the way they think they are. That we're not all nuts and weird and judgmental. That we love them the way that Jesus loves them. Because it's only in that relationship of love that we're going to be able to convince them otherwise. See, that's why we're doing this Halloween party next week. TBA Church is doing the Halloween party next week so that we can tangibly reach out to the community around us and let them know that we care and love. See, it's so much more than just a party. It's so much more than just an event. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to meet people where they are without a hidden agenda just to show them that this is a safe place for them to explore God. That's why we don't charge anything. We don't charge them a dime, even though it costs us about $5,000 to put on this event. But we don't charge them. That's why we do it on Sunday and why we shut down our normal service because we want them to know that church happens outside of these walls. That's why we call it a community Halloween party and not a fall festival because we want, them to, meet, we want to meet them where they are and that's where they are. The same way that Jesus met with sinners and ate with them and met them where they were. That's what we want to do. And I don't know about you, but I want to change the perception that the people have of Christians. I want them to know that there are some of us who will accept them as they are, that they do care, that we're willing to serve them without asking for anything in return. I want them to know that there is a place that they can come to when they're hurting or where they're seeking or where they're asking questions about God. I want them to know that TBA is that kind of place. And you'd be surprised, you'd be surprised by the impact that our Halloween party has on the, on the community around us. See, we hear over and over from people in our community who are blown away. They are blown away that a church would do something like this for free. I wish that wasn't, I wish we weren't the exception. I wish it was more normal, that more, more churches behave that way. But either way, this party makes a difference in their lives. And that's why we do it. Because these people, the people in our community will never step foot in a church service. A lot of them will never step foot in a church service. But because they come to the Halloween party, or because their kids play flag football on our fields, or their, their kids attend Girl Scouts here in our building, all of a sudden that church that they mistrusted before isn't so scary, and it becomes approachable to them. And our hope and prayer is that at some point in their life, when God is pulling them to seek Him out, they will know that this place will help them in that journey. As a matter of fact, we have people who are family of TBA Church now because they came to our Halloween party first before they ever attended a church service. So my question to you is this. What are you doing to change the perception that others have of Christians? Because if all we do is come here on Sunday, if this is all we do, 
if we never leave these walls, if our relationship with Christ never leaves these walls, then what's the point? What's the point of doing this? In the book of Isaiah, if you read the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, God is basically communicating a word of judgment because Israel has lost their passion for God. And as a result, they made no difference in the lives of those who surrounded them. They've lost their saltiness. And God confronts them in the first 39 chapters. And then the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, God offers them a message of hope. And he says, here's what I'm going to accomplish through the Messiah. And I want to read to you what he says in chapter 58. It's in chapter 58, verse 1. And he says this, Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Do, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet, yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. And they act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. And they ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why, God responds. It's because you are fasting to please yourself. And even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And don't hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call the Lord, will answer, yes, I am here. And he will quickly reply, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your fingers and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as the moon. Are we simply here for the bowing, just for the humbling, just to look as if we are faithful and religious and wear the name of Christian in name only? Is it just to go through the ceremony? If that's true, if that's all that we're here for, then we lack spirit and we lack passion and we lack heart. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that kind of Christian because there's enough of them already. Stephen Covey, who is the author, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effectual People, says this. He says that if enough people get involved, we could literally solve all of our social problems. If enough people get involved, we could literally solve all of our social problems. 
It's not magic. It simply means getting involved. He advocates that families draft a mission statement which says this. We are not about ourselves. We are about making a difference. Stephen Covey does one act of service per week. How about you? Can you say that of your life? Would that be a mission statement that describes you, that we are not about ourselves, we are about making a difference? Because here's the truth. Faith makes no difference unless it has hands and feet to go with it. Faith makes no difference unless it has hands and feet to go with it. That's why we serve. That's why we do things like the Halloween party. That's why we bought the house in Highland City. That's why we're doing the paint day in November. That's why we do all the things that we do, because faith makes no difference unless it has hands and feet to go with it. So as we close, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, if you have not signed up to help at the Halloween party next week, sign up right in the lobby after we dismiss. We still have over 100 spots that need to be filled. So if you haven't signed up yet, I'm asking you please to sign up because it will take every single one of us to do this event right. And I know we've had some confusion about parking and some of you might be worried about signing up because you think you're going to be locked in here and stuck here all day. Let me try to clear some of that up if I can. Because of the football fields that we have, our parking is limited this year. And so what we're asking our church family to do is to park off-site. St. Stephen's Church, which is right across the street from us, has graciously said that we can park in their backfield next Sunday. So you'll need to pull into their parking lot on the left side of the church, the west side of the church, and park back in the field. We're going to have parking attendants there to direct you. So you're going to park right across the street at St. Stephen's in their field. And then we're going to have two options for you to get across. We're going to have uh, deputy sheriffs here that will help you walk across the street, or you can get on our bus that will be shuttling back and forth from our property to their property. Okay, so you're not going to be locked in. Okay, we'd love for you to come at 9 a.m. and stay until the event is over to clean up. And if you need child care during those times, there will be child care there for you. If you can't stay the whole time, we understand. Just stay as long as you can. Even if it's just to work the shift that you signed up for, you're not going to be locked into staying the whole time. You'll be able to get back to your car and leave if you need to. So I hope that clears that up. So come and work a shift. And remember that this party, this event is not for us. It's not for us. I'm not saying don't have a good time. I want you to have a great time. Enjoy it because it's a blast. But make sure that our guests get the best of the event. Let them go first. Let them have the last funnel cake. Smile. Be friendly. Engage them in conversation. Let them know that Christians aren't all of those things that the world says they are. Let God be a light through you next Sunday. Here's the second thing I want to ask you to do. Outside of this one event that we're going to do next Sunday, I want you to make a commitment to make a difference in somebody's life. 
That person that we've been asking you to pray for, how can you make a difference in their life? How can you change their perception of what a Christian is? How can you serve them? Make it intentional. Be purposeful in showing them that you care. I mean, it could be as simple as just taking them out for a cup of coffee. If they're married with kids, maybe you just babysit and you give them a date night to go out. I don't know what it is. You're going to have to figure that out and let God guide you in that. But let God begin to work through you in their lives in a very tangible way. Because we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And if we don't go outside of these walls and serve, how will they ever know God's presence in their lives? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing love and grace in our life, God. I thank you that you have sent somebody into our lives to rescue us from hell, God. And God, my prayer is that we would be different, God, that we would stand out from what the world thinks that we are, God, that we would show the world that we love them and that there is hope through your son, Jesus. My prayer is, God, that people who will come onto this property next week, God, that they will be loved with open arms, they will feel welcome and safe, and they will know that there is a place where they can find you, and they will know that there is a people that will walk with them in that journey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.